Hello and welcome to the SEO SAS podcast, where your hosts are myself, Sarah McDowell, SEO specialist at LikeMind Media, and their ever so wonderful, delightful, funny, enthusiastic Hannah Bryce, SEO manager at Holland and Barrett. Why are we called SEO SAS? Well, we like to think of ourselves as your special answering service when it comes to SEO. We are nerds on the subject and that is why we have a podcast because when we're not working and making a living out of it, we love to talk about the subject. So we like finding out what's going on in the industry. We like debating topics. We like getting people on to talk about their experience and bits and bobs. So yes, we just love debating SEO and putting it on a podcast for our wonderful listeners. This show is brought to you by the team at LikeMind Media. Like my media help clients find their audience and start having conversations with them, whether that's on social media, content, or even podcasts, just like this one. We're actually using their podcasting equipment right now. They're super lovely people who take time to understand your business and think like you. Thanks, Hannah. Now, unfortunately, Hannah can't join us for this episode. So that does mean that I have a wonderful guest joining me today. And that wonderful guest is Hannah Bednarova, who is the founder of Bedner Comms, and she is a digital PR specialist. So welcome to the show, Hannah. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. It is our pleasure. How are we doing? Very good. Well, considering everything, very yes. good. <laughs> I, yeah, whenever I ask that question, there is always that like, in this current situation, how, <laughs> how are you finding things? I don't even know what week of lockdown we're on anymore. I've, lo- I've lost count. I don't know about you. I have no idea. I think it's about six or seven. But I have to say that, like you mentioned nowadays, you know, we do ask how are you and people go, oh, considering everything but we do mean it now which is quite nice you know you don't say that just because (laughs) yeah it's not a filler we actually want to know how people are and stuff so I mean how are you are you enjoying working from home did you work from home a lot before or yeah so when I when I started freelancing I worked from home for about one year before getting an office and before setting up an agency so I did get used to that and, and I, I sort of found my routine as well, which I think is really important. So I don't mind it, actually, uh, but it, it can be difficult for people who you know, never work from home. Or, but it's a bit weird that you are in an industry that you shouldn't really, you know, you're not used to that. Mm, yes, definitely, definitely. And it is just something to, I mean, at the beginning... It was a bit like, yay, we get to work from home. So let's be in our pajamas all day. Let's work from the bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and then the novelty wears off, but then you kind of get used to it because what I did was created like a, a workspace for myself in a spare bedroom. So that's my go-to. So when I'm I'm there, I'm in the, I'm in the zone, I'm there to work sort of thing. So it's all about getting used to it. Yeah, I think that's a great approach to have a, a bit of separate space if you can where it's your work really your office definitely 100% agree 
Right then. So we got you on today to talk about outreach emails for digital PR. So the how-to, as it were. However, before we get stuck into that, we like to give the chance for our listeners to get to know our special guest. So let's get to know you a bit, Hannah. So can you tell us a brief overview of yourself and how you got into this wonderful industry mm. of SEO and PR? Of course. So uh, a bit about me. You mentioned digital PR. I do specialize in digital PR. It's something I do love and I, I think I'm really passionate about it. Maybe too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I started my own agency last year and I think I have to, it's, been, it's been a great journey, ups and downs, but it's something that I always wanted to do. And I'm really proud to say that it's something that I've done. How did I get into the industry? So I studied master's degree in international PR. And when doing that, I did a lot of internships in traditional PR agencies and event agencies. And when doing so, I, re- I found myself focusing on the online part of the job most of the times. And then when I sort of looked after, after the university, when I started looking for a job, this outreach execs and outreach journeys start popping out I was like that's something that really would enjoy so I got an outreach exec job and since then I always worked with SEO teams back then digital PR wasn't I think (laughs) it wasn't called digital PR but I think it's it's to highlight amazing how much has changed and it's not sort of outreach link building as much as it's the same thing but (laughs) um, it's progressing heavily and I think it's forming its own part of the industry Yes. So it's definitely getting more and more awareness, isn't it? And it's becoming more like a a trusted channel and people are more aware of it. And and yeah, you have roles such as a digital PR specialist, which is what you are. Awesome. Okay. So now we know about how you got into the industry, how you've set up your own agency, which is amazing, by the way. When you. you. When you said before that you feel proud of that, you definitely should because... I briefly ran my own sort of business for a bit. And yeah, so I, I, can't, I understand the struggles, but then also the benefits of running a business. But anyway, that's maybe a topic for another podcast. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but I think what would be fun to do is if you could tell us a fun fact about yourself that most people don't know or yeah, or, or any fun fact. A fun fact. Oh, oh, there is one, actually. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, it might not be fun. <laughs> when I studied in, in Prague, I worked for this lifestyle magazine and I was asked to go and review this gig. I wasn't really sure who that is. I didn't have much information. But it was a very small team. So I had jumped on and went to review this. And it was LMFAO concert. Uh, if you remember oh LMFAO. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crazy, and, uh, the crazy dude yes. with the like with, costumes and stuff. Yeah, the zebra dancing and, yes, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up dancing on a stage with them in the arena in front of thousands of people with that zebra <laughs> and the LMFAO group. Wow. So there's your claim to fame right there. Yeah. <laughs> a two-minute one. <laughs> I wonder what, like, we, I've not heard any new songs from, because they used to be really big, didn't they? And then, they were they, huge. Yeah, I remember they were big when I was at uni, which was about, wow, coming up to eight 
eight to 10 years ago now. And there was a fancy, well, you know, at university, how uh, you dress up because fancy dress is the thing that you do when you're a student. And (laughs) it was the time where was it the I'm sexy and I know yes it. yes that song and there was a group of guys I was friends with one of them but there was a group of about four or five of them and they went out with the a bit of a remember their robot costume that they had <laughs> oh my gosh it was incredible <laughs> but yes but that's amazing that you've been on stage and uh, been dancing with them yeah, it was it was a, a good it was fun. <laughs> I mean, I have no connections. I've never seen them again in my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I definitely think our listeners know a bit more about you now. So, I reckon we get into the juicy bit of today's podcast and talk about outreach emails for digital PR. Starting off then, would you say email is the most used tactic when it comes to communication with the press? And if so, why do you think it's the most popular or most commonly used? So yes, I do think email is uh, one of those that we use the most. I think we got to this point where it's best way to reach out to the press and showcase our campaign and our assets and you know everything that we've got about the campaign. I mean, about five, six years ago, I would have a list of 300 people and I would have to call every single one of them. And I would have to, you know, introduce that whether I was a press release, a study, a, a different piece of content. And I was dreading every call because it's, it's quite, you know, it, it, you're calling them, you have, you've got a 10, 20 seconds to get their attention immediately. I was really nervous every time. But I think now, uh, not that many journalists actually answer their phone, or sometimes you don't even get past the publication's reception, which happens to me. Even when we organize a call with the journalists, you call the reception and it's just impossible to get through, especially mm. with national publications. So I think we, we got into mastering our emails. And, you know, you also notice, for example, on Twitter, when you're reading journalists' bios, that they will say, you know, they will encourage people to email them. You know, if you have a story, email me. Or, um, you know, if, you, if you're using a media database, again, in the notes of the media database, you will see they say they prefer email over a call. So I think it gets to the point where, you know, like you say, email is, is, is the most used when it comes to, alongside other channels, but I think email is the, is the one we use the most. And as we evolve with technology and stuff, people are going to use the most efficient and best way of communication. And I can, I can definitely see how email is, is that preferred communication because I can't imagine you having to do all those, those calls back in the yeah. day. I, yeah, I imagine that was quite taxing on you. I think at the end of that, when, when you called someone and he, and he got their attention, the thing is, then what they said would be, email me the story. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I think we sort of cut, you know, we sort of got rid of that part. And yes. Directly, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so email is definitely the most popular way of getting in touch with journalists then. So I imagine the goal is to make a subject line I want to use the word sexy, <laughs> but um, yeah, get a subject line sexy or get the attention of a journalist so that they, they open your email. Because I imagine 
I mean, I feel for a journalist inbox because it must be always full. They must never get to inbox zero. I suppose when we're doing outreach emails and we want to get in touch with the press about content, we've got to be clever in how we're getting the the person's attention and because we want them to click and open the email. So have you got any tips about writing subject lines that get opened? I mean, a few. That <laughs> is good to, to hear. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you're right. The, the email inboxes will be full all the time. And, you know, whenever you read an article where journalists are sharing tips with PRs, they will mention that we receive hundreds of emails every day, especially those that, you know, those who write for nationals or larger publications. So we do need to cut through the noise. And like you say, we do need to make the subject line sexy <laughs> or, or, you know, to, to, attention grabbing. <laughs> yes, I think that's the better <laughs> phrase than sex. That's the, that's the word that came to my mind. <laughs> um, I think uh, when it comes to some tips, I think the first one I would say is just be very clear in your subject line. You know, don't go with, you would never guess what, or here is what to do with, you know, it's just really clear and just don't try to lead them on. Just tell them exactly what you are offering in a punchy sentences, obviously one sentence is the best, but if you do one strong punchy sentence and short one, I think that's the best when it comes to subject lines and you need to make sure it is shorter because you don't want the subject line to go forever. And then you can't even read it when it comes to your inbox, when you just see the subject line because it's you know it goes something something dot 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 because it's not one full short sentence so punchy short and you know quite a strong one i think it depends on what we are offering and i think we should say exactly what we are offering in that subject line so if it's a video then write video semicolon and what it is or a map or you know tell them what it is that they will find in your email and it's important to also personalize or personalize, you know, adapt those subject lines depending on who you are contacting, especially when it comes to location. So if you're contacting regional press, tell them about the, the city or the, the location that is, is close to them. So is it Brighton is the best or Manchester's the busiest, Glasgow's the highest, you know, and, and highlight the findings or something that is most relevant to their publication if it's depending on the location and I would also recommend doing a bit of a b testing when it comes to your subject lines so write a few subject lines that you really like and that you like to use and then do a bit of test groups so send that subject line to 10 20 people and then different subject line to 10 20 people and see how what, you know how it's, it's performing and what's performing better and then use the one that is getting the most replies or you know that is getting the coverage i think it's also really important to like i mentioned to amend subject lines depending on who you contact in not just location but also the angles that you are using especially if you're targeting if you're using different angles like it's age or gender or sector or occupation you know if it's women's magazine you're going to highlight different data and different story angle than if you're contacting men's magazines or if you're contacting 50 plus magazines or if you're contacting more millennials you know publications so you just need to make sure that you are targeting the sub 
amending the subject lines, depending on who you are targeting when it comes to the readership, to ensure that you know you you are you are showing the journalists that it's not only attractive to the journalists, but it's only also attractive to their readers. Yes, because at the end of the day, that is the journalist's end goal is to share, Absolutely. produce content that resonates with their audience. So yeah, you've gotta you've gotta be thinking about that, haven't you? Absolutely. I think it's really handy if you access, you know, the publications media packs or feature calendars, which are online, those media packs, because that's used for advertising. If you access that, you see exact demographic and you will understand the readership that they are writing for. Therefore, you should be writing for as well if you're targeting that Hmm. publication. And I suppose that as well helps with your tone and your language as well because depending on age or gender or what they what they're passionate about what their ethics are that's going to change what you're going to be putting in your email and on your subject line exactly you can get into great details like some Mm -hmm. of the media packs will show you if their readers prefer dogs or cats (laughs) You know, it's, it, you can get some really cool information that can be used wisely if, you know, if, if it's excess. Yes, definitely, definitely. But if we do find out that the readers prefer dogs, let's say, <laughs> don't be clickbaity and say, here's a, a video of an amazing dog doing an amazing thing and then not oh, yeah. actually <laughs> having that amazing video of an amazing dog doing an amazing thing. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, yes, that's a lot of tips there that you've covered. So being clear, being clear of your message, what you're offering, be short, punchy, personalized, think about the readership, think about who you're talking to, A-B testing. That's, that's awesome. And I'm guessing, so my next question, and I imagine there's going to be a bit of overlap here, but is there any other tips that you can suggest about the actual email itself or is it similar? Yeah, of course. I mean, it will be similar. I think with the email itself, of course, you know, when, when you get the journalist to open your email, you got their attention for some time, not very long time, but you got them for some time. So I think to the, the another one, it, it's very similar to the subject line, but I think the first um, advice would be just get to the point they don't have time. We said they receive several emails every day. Just get to the point. And I really like doing in the first few paragraphs covering sort of who, what, where, when, how, and why. And yes. the reason behind that is if you look at any article in any publication, that's exactly what you find out in the first few paragraphs. That's I how you're going to introduce the story to their readers. Yeah, I I am because there has been times where I've been on a PR writing course or someone's been like giving me tips and they always and one thing that I always remember and it's been drilled in my in my brain is in the first paragraph or the first couple of paragraphs, make sure you cover the who, what, when, how. um, Yeah. Yeah. So it only makes sense that you would then do the same in your email, I suppose. Exactly. Because that's, you know, if, if you do that in your email, the journalist reads it, it's familiar to them because that's exactly what they would do or what they do because they, yeah. they, will, they have to write this in, in the article. They have to explain who, what, where, when, how and why. We covered the subject titles yes. and we've covered the body of the email. Yeah. Is there anything else that 
we should be doing to support so using other channels to support the email outreach so i don't know like social media for example or yeah or is there anything else that you can be doing to support your efforts with your email outreach I mean, absolutely. You know, you touch on social media. I think that's a great way to get your attention in a healthy way. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you can you can tweet your campaign because you follow journalists, and if you work with them, they'll follow you back. And if you tweet your campaign, it's another way to highlight that what you're working on at the moment. And also, you know, you some of the journalists will also mention on on their Twitter that they prefer if you direct message them if you got a story or if you tweet them directly. I think if, you, if you're emailing and you see that there's someone that you really would like to get your story in front of, you know, you know that they, they will, they will, if they see it, they'll like it. And you see that you send an email, you know, they, they didn't get back to you. You followed up with them. They didn't get back to you. Just tweet them. Just tell them that you got in touch and you wanted to make sure they saw, you know, the, the, the content that you shared with them. They're, they're also groups that you you have to be invited to by journalists or you have to request to, to join but there are some great facebook groups that you can request joining you know journalists and prs in your area i think that's really a nice way to to use social media especially facebook to get in front of uh, get your story in front of journalists there are also some whatsapp groups or slack groups that you can again join or request join to, to ensure that you're getting in touch with the right people or you know that that journalist that you want to get in touch with is using those channels so it's about working on the relationship then exactly yeah yeah when it comes to doing email outreach i imagine that you've got to be prepared that a percentage of your emails are going to get ignored because that's just part and parcel and I know what we're talking about today is obviously helping you avoid your emails from getting ignored but it's part and parcel of this process journalists are inundated with emails so it's only you've got to expect to be ignored so what is there sort of like a percentage of how many emails actually get ignored to how many emails get read I don't know is there any like benchmarks in the industry or anything here so listeners who try outreach don't get disheartened because they feel like they're just being ignored basically I think I, did, I didn't see any exact percentage because if I think we would have to, we would all have to track or use some sort of tracker um, to see what's been open, what hasn't been open. I think realistically, I think we'd be looking about 20%, just, just to be realistic. I think outreach, you know, and the number of emails that might get ignored, it is affected heavily by whether you're contacting the right person. You know, again, it, it's all about research, ensuring that mm. ensuring that you have the right people on your media list. It's, it's things like if you send in your campaign on, you know, as an example, it's silly, but if you launch your campaign on Sunday, yes, you know you'll have more un- unopened p- uh, emails than than you would if you had contacted them during the week. I think to to avoid this it is make sure that, like I mentioned, we're following up. So um, it's being polite, and maybe a few days later after you contacted someone, you just drop them a note just to make sure that they saw your email. And you would not believe how many times I get replies from people saying, from journalists saying, oh God, I'm sorry, I missed that. You know, let me have a look. And then they covered the story. So 
nice little hack there then people (laughs) (laughs) you know it is it's following up it used to be again over the phone you would call them you would ask them if they receive your email everyone hated it but taking into again the email conversation i don't think there's anything wrong with following up don't follow up for five times you know just just once just just the like sort of you know just wanted to make sure that you've seen this if there's anything else i can help with please let me know so have polite when you are following up have the right balance so you don't want to become annoying but you just want to be there like like just as like a little gentle nudge right so outreach emails when done right so if people are taking into consideration everything that we're talking about today they're going to take time to do because I'm I'm always under the impression that if something's worthwhile to do take the time to do it because you're going to get your results and and yeah because that just makes sense however is there any way that any part of the outreach email process can be speeded up in any way? So for example, I mean, templates, they might be a big no-no, I, I don't know, or lists. Like, is, there, is there little things that people can be doing to make the process a bit more efficient? I mean, you touched on uh, templates. It's something that I personally would recommend I'm not saying that, you know, we just talked about amending the copy, changing subject lines, adapting your email to the publication styles, or, you know, it's a, it's template. If you send it to hundreds of journalists, you're completely missing this whole personalizing and adapting your email. Don't take me wrong. There will be elements of template in your emails. You know, you'll use your same, your press list if you have one or images, you, you won't change the methodology of your, you know, of your um, content piece every time. So I think the core of the email, if you write your core of the email, that's your essential template that you then use for everyone. But then you also amend your subject lines and your introduction. I think with speeding up the, the, the process, media lists definitely, the more you prepare, the better. The more you uh, research into the journalist, the better, because you'll make sure you've got the right people so you're not losing your time and you're not losing anyone. You know, you're not sort of, you know, getting wrong people, and which it can be bad in a way that you get replies like, take me off your mailing list or <laughs> that's not one for me. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> yes, I imagine. I imagine that really does hurt. Cuts deep. <laughs> yeah. And I think having everything on hand as well, you know, your comments because journalists will sometimes they ask for more comments from your clients just pre-write a few get them signed okay. up and have them ready so so then you speed up the process because you've got everything in your folder in your computer you've got your images you've got your videos you've got your designs you've got your comments and when anyone asks for anything you really quickly can access them share it with them i'm guessing then the more that you do this process the more familiar you'll get with what what is needed and what's required. So you're going to get more efficient anyway, because because the more time you do something, the more practice you get and the better you get at it, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's all about practice and it's all about experimenting as well. I'm all up for experimenting healthy ones. But, you know, <laughs> it's... <laughs> sort of you know try try things out there's not not such a thing as this is don't do this you make no no or you have to always do this no because our industry evolves so quickly and it changes so quickly and something that i would say definitely do this last year don't do that now because people hate it you know so it's it's learning it's trying it's 
being, you know, ex do little experiments, find your way around it. And you might come across a tactic that is absolutely perfect and it works so well for you. Why not work for someone else? Yeah. And I think you've touched on a really good point about, so when you're, no matter what you're doing with marketing, so whether it is outreach for digital PR, whether it's social media, whether it's SEO, whether it's content, general email campaigns, you've got to always be testing and seeing what works. Because uh, I imagine there's quite a few businesses or quite a few people that just get stuck doing what they're used to, whereas that you're missing opportunities. Yeah, you need to get into the habit of analyzing what you're doing, analyzing the results. What what is working? What's not working? Because the more that you can get into the habit of doing that, the better you're going to get, aren't you? Absolutely. I think it's that's and that's the beauty of it. You know, it's 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 not gonna it's not going to stay the same. And I think we need, to, like I say, it's sort of you need to progress with with the industry. And I think it's really important. Mm, interesting. I'm really enjoying this conversation today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that is good. Okay, my next question then. I'm guessing the answer is going to be depends, but I feel like I need to answer <laughs> the question anyway, ask the question anyway. Is there a best time or day of the week to send an email? So I don't think there is a best time or best day. And it does depend. <laughs> I think it, it depends on who we're contacting. You know, is it if it's nationals? I actually tried and contacted people uh, around seven o'clock in the morning and eight and eight o'clock in the morning because that's when some people start their work uh, in in you know in the publications. Sometimes you actually might be contacting night journalists who start completely different time of the day. You know, some journalists don't work on Fridays. I've got um, a few contacts that I know they work only Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So again, it is, it is about research. You know, lunchtime is great. Friday is great. Because some, not that many people actually use Friday for outreach. So again, testing, again, finding out what works for you, what works for your contact. And but I, suppose, I think, sorry, go on. So, sorry, no, just, um, just as you're talking, I suppose it all depends on the schedule of the journalist and the magazine then, doesn't it, really? Yes. Can you find out what the process is like? Can you find out when when a, a magazine or newspaper is published and when their final edits do you know what I mean I suppose it's getting that sort of information so I, I know that if you're using media databases they sometimes do share information about their morning meetings uh, which very often will be between nine and ten o'clock in the morning um, so you want to contact them before nine with your story or after 10, because that's when they're going to be deciding, you know, what's going on. And it's different. If you got, if you got online publication, there's not a schedule. Everything goes live as it happens. Right. But if okay. you have smaller publications like magazines, they will have schedule of they doing this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on lunchtime, you know? So I think the best way to find out honestly is to ask. Yeah. Just get in touch with, with, your, with the journalists that you want to get in touch with, whether you know them or, or not. And just ask because the thing, if you do that, if you say, I just wanted to make sure that I'm getting in touch with you at the right time. You know, what, when's, when's, the best, when's the best day? When's the best time? What works for you? And I think they appreciate that because you are trying to make their life easier because you're not contacting them at the wrong time. Yeah, I love that bit of advice. That's really cool. So I've got a few more questions and then I know you're very excited for the feature. 
You're not nervous at all, are you? I'm so nervous. <laughs> okay, so best and worst digital PR campaign you have seen? Oh, campaign. Wow. Um, best. Uh, I don't know if it's... It wasn't necessarily digital PR, I think. It was campaign in general, but I yeah. really loved it was a recent one. And it was when lockdown started and people didn't really listen or, you know, I don't think it was lockdown. It was when the advice was stay at home if you can, you know, work from home. And this agency, sorry, I don't remember the name, but basically Netflix released spoilers around main points of um, commute. So if you watch something on Netflix, they would basically put a huge spoiler on the billboard right where, uh, you, where you commute and it was so good because it was really good timing it was obviously relevant to the current situation it was strong and cheek it was so funny because imagine watching something and then you get up of a tube or bus or something and you see that on a billboard and it tells you exactly who who's the killer who's the murderer who you know it's i think that was absolutely brilliant that, I, I didn't see that, but that does sound Did, amazing. Oh, Google that. That's amazing. I will. I will Google and I will make sure I put a link to that in the show notes. Okay, worst? Oh. <laughs> Is there too many to pick? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, oh, it, again, I'm, I don't, sorry about that. I don't think that was digital PR, but it was one where I'm not going to name and shame, but um, a fashion company was giving hand sanitizers for free if you buy a dress oh that is and not I, good no that was a that was a big mistake wasn't good everyone obviously jumped on that and said that's really really bad but um i think that was uh, you know that that was quite they they got press coverage but in a bad way <laughs> well there is that saying isn't there that all pr is good pr <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I don't. I I think bad PR can really oh damage, yeah can't that, that really damage your reputation? It can it can damage. And you know, I've been I've been um, sometimes I've been in a position very long time ago when I worked in house. The company I worked for has bought like a um, product, let's say, and it had a bad reputation. And my job was fix that reputation. And then, as I mentioned before, I used to call journalists and I would call them and I would say name of the product and people would shout at me. People would say they will never cover this product because it's very bad. You know, it can damage you very badly. And it's really a hard job to then try to put it back into good sort of, you know, um, position. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think, I think I've only got, two more questions for you but like I said I have really enjoyed this episode oh, I feel... I'm so glad <laughs> I'm really like... enjoying myself thank you Good. so much again for having me the time is flying I don't know <laughs> it about is. you and I have so many more tips <laughs> <laughs> we just have to get you on again won't we oh, okay three people to follow on either Twitter or LinkedIn Okay, I think I really, really like following and I really like um, chatting with when I've got a chance. Felicity Hannah is a freelance journalist and she gives you so much insights into how to speak to journalists, especially when they're freelancing, because it's completely different if you're speaking to a journalist or trying to you know, sell a story in to a journalist who is employed within the publication or is freelancing. And I think she does 
she shares so many great tips on Twitter, so do follow her. Yeah. Um, with the with the pandemic in mind, I think it, I would recommend everyone to follow Jane Hunt from JBH because she currently does amazing webinars with journalists all about what to do at the moment, all about campaigns that you should run, all about what you should do when it comes to speaking to journalists. She's got some great, great guests on, on, her, on her webinars, so definitely her. And the same goes with, um, for Verve Search, guys at Verve Search, they also do amazing webinars. I think they're planning some online conference. So again, anyone in digital PR, outreach in general, I think these guys are great when it comes to sharing tips for webinars. Favourite tool? Ooh, uh, there's so many out there. That I, and you, if you don't use them all together. <laughs> um, Favourite tool? Oh, probably Ahrefs, yeah. Ahrefs, yeah. That's yeah. that's that's a, a, a solid tool that often comes up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> good one. <laughs> maybe we should, because uh, we always ask people their favorite SEO tool. Maybe the question should be, what tool do you use the most? Maybe yeah. that. Uh, but then is that the same? Do you, did you say Ahrefs was your favorite because you use it the most? Probably, yeah, because I use the most, but then you use so many others and there are, so, there are some great new tools as well coming up. So it's always um, finding out the balance of, you know, each tool has got its strengths. And yes. I think you just need to use all those together to get the best out of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's always this saying that a tool is only as good as the person using it, I suppose. Yes. Um, so you've got to, yeah, still use your brain and your expertise and knowledge and whatever tools that you're using. That's just to help you, isn't it? Help you and aid. Last question, and then we'll move on to the feature. Do okay. you have a question for me? Oh, um, any question? I think what would be question, and you might have been asked that already, and I do apologize if so. <laughs> but I've seen so many people on social media from the industry, whatever part of the industry, saying that they would really want to start a podcast. What would you recommend for them to do to get the get on it and do the first steps and get organized and start a podcast themselves? Oh, I don't think I have been asked this question. Or maybe oh, I have <laughs> and I've just forgotten. So when it comes to podcasts, I you need to have a solid idea and a, a good structure. I would say, because there's so many podcasts out there and they're covering a lot of different subjects that you need to find a niche or an angle that's different to make, to help you stand out. So, and, and don't be afraid, spend a bit of money for your podcast as well. Like buy a microphone, have some headphones. You don't have to spend a lot on setting yourself up, but spending a little bit is yeah just getting a decent microphone is is the difference between professional sounding podcast and a not so professional sounding podcast what else could i offer make sure you enjoy it as well so the reason that yeah i love doing the podcast and i'm passionate about it so whatever subject that you're picking or wanting to talk about make sure you're passionate about it because then you won't run out of things to talk about and you'll want to do it be prepared. So I was a bit naive when I first started a podcast about how much time it would take because I was thinking, oh, a podcast episode is what, like half an hour to an hour? 
it's not really going to take much of my time, but it does because you've got to plan, you've got to record, you've got to edit, you've got to publish, you've, you've got to promote it as well. So you've got to be prepared to spend, I think, yeah, spend some, you, be prepared to spend time with all, with what goes into doing a podcast. Is that... I yeah. think you, you learn a lot of new skills, don't you? Because you said editing, you know, not that many people probably edited um, um, audio. So that's quite, that's quite good, isn't it? Yes. And so I edit our podcasts and I've learned so, so much. So before I did this podcast, I never, I, I never edited before in my life. But because the internet is so full of so much resource and content, there's so much help out there. So I use Audacity. And because it's a known, it's a free tool as well. But there's so much help out there. So much help. So yeah. Oh, that's um, amazing. And we love free tools, don't we? So. Yeah. <laughs> but it does. I, yeah, you made a good point that like a podcast gives you so many different skills as well so so yes um does that answer your question yes that's a great one thank you i might have blabbed a little bit <laughs> no no it's, you can tell you're very passionate about that which i think is the one of the most important things uh yes passion passion drives <laughs> you cool right are you ready then are you ready oh, i don't know <laughs> well today you will be quizzed on sex in the city. So I did ask you, didn't I? I've not put you up. Like, well, obviously you've been put a bit on the spot, but when yeah. I asked you what, what you'd like to be quizzed about, you said... Sex in the city. Yes, there we go. <laughs> uh, it was really hard, like, because we were not... I've watched it so many on. times, and I'll definitely forget everything about it. <laughs> right. That was so embarrassing. Go on. So I've got <laughs> 10 questions. Okay. Some are multiple choice. Oh, okay. Some aren't. Starting with the first one then. Sex in the City was a HBO series based on a book by Janice Kaplan, Candace Bushnell, or Jennifer Weiner. Oh, it's Candace Bushnell, isn't it? Yes, that is Yay! correct. <laughs> Great start. <laughs> Starting strong. Okay, next question. And this is multiple choice. How many seasons was Sex in the City on air for? Five, six, or seven? Was it six? Eight. You're doing well. Oh, second yes. one, right? <laughs> right. Will you do? How about this one then? Um, this isn't multiple choice. Oh. Which actress had a no nudity clause in her contract? I know this one because everyone was complaining about it. It's, it's Sarah Jessica Parker. It is. What? People were complaining because they wanted to It was to so see. many articles. Well, especially because the actress playing Samantha is so, you know, it's so much going on that uh, she wasn't very happy about the fact that Sarah Jessica Parker had that deal. <laughs> and way <Wow>. too much. <laughs> Controversial. Question number four. Where does Trey propose to Charlotte? This isn't uh, it. Oh, yeah, go. Okay, it's uh, it's in front of Tiffany. Hey, you haven't got one wrong yet. <laughs> I don't know if I'm proud or a bit like, oh God, that this woman does nothing, just watches Sex in the City. <laughs> I should have gone harder with the questions. That's what I should have done. Question number five. 
In the first season, Miranda is dating 27-year-old Skipper <laughs> Johnson. What does he do for a living? Oh, I know. He's a web developer. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be disappointed that you know. I don't work, I just got sex on telly. Question number six. What name does Charlotte have picked out for her future daughter? Oh, it's um, Shayla. It is. <laughs> hey, you should go on. Do you know Mastermind? Yeah, I don't you, know. You should go on Mastermind and yeah, this should be your subject. Right. Okay. I think this is going to be really easy for you as well. Question number seven. What newspaper does Carrie write her Sex in the City columns for? It's uh, the New York Star. You know it. You know <laughs> it. And I swear I'm not Googling. I'm not <laughs> on my laptop. We trust you. We trust you. Question number eight. Miranda and Steve have a son. What is his name? I want the full his first and second name it's um brady yes but his uh dad's surname is brady so it's brady brady hops or yes yes you are right well done (laughs) this next one people love it and people hate it I shouldn't really give you a clue because you don't really need any clues, do you? Question number nine. For Valentine's Day, what did Samantha make for Smith? Oh, um, she uh, did like a sushi. She did. On her body. (laughs) (laughs) She did. Are you a fan of sushi? And he was so late, she was so angry. Oh, no, no. (laughs) I love sushi. You love sushi? On a plate, yeah. Okay, right. Next, uh, last final question, number 10. How much money did the Sex and the City movie make during the opening weekend in the USA, which was the 1st of June, 2008? Wow, that was over 10 years ago. Flipping out. I can't believe that, would you? Time just goes so fast. Right, is it around 40 million, 55 million, or 60 million? I have no idea. I honestly don't know, but I'll go. I'll go with 55 million. Oh, 10 oh. out of 10. Oh, really? Oh, I you get oh. one question wrong. Okay, you know, <laughs> you know what will You know what will blow my mind? I have the exact amount that the Sex and the City movie made. So, I, I mean, it's going to be impossible for you to get the exact number, but have a go. Oh, exact amount. Oh, my, I don't think. And we say it's got around, around 55 million. Yeah. And let's go with 55,830,000. Oh, the answer I was looking for, I mean, this was a bit <laughs> impossible, was 57 million. Ooh. So how do you even right? How do you even say this number? So fifty-seven oh three eight four oh four. Fifty-seven million thirty-eight thousand four hundred four pounds. There we go. That's how much. Wow. 
See, I wish I was in Sex and the City. <laughs> that is a lot of money. Fifty-seven. The wrong industry. I should have been actress. Fifty-seven million thirty-eight thousand and four hundred and four pounds. Wow. Well, you got a question wrong. <laughs> oh well, that was not the question. <laughs> You're right. right back on this. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I'm afraid to say that brings us to the end of this week's SEO SAS podcast. I'm a bit sad. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, I've had a huge thank you very much for joining us. I think this episode, our listeners are going to get so much value from because, yeah, they're going to be, I want to swear and say shit hot at their email outreach. <laughs> and I wanted to add if there is anyone uh, who's new within the industry listening, if you have any questions, just do reach out to me, you know, email, direct message on Twitter, anything. Do do get in touch with questions, any questions. Yeah, so where how what is your email and where, where can they find you on social? So my email is Hannah, which is H A N A. I forgot how to spell it. H N A at Bednarcoms uk and uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at, uh, at uh, Miss underscore Hannah B. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You know, if you want to be my Facebook friend, <laughs> <laughs> go for it. So, so anywhere, any social media um, email, I'm checking every day, all day. So do, do get in touch, do reach out, and do ask any questions. Awesome! I should really do the podcast admin now so if you want to get in touch with the podcast we are on twitter so we are seo underscore sas i myself uh, is on twitter sarah mcduck so sarah mcduk and hannah is on twitter as well seo sas hannah we're both on linkedin and we also have an email address. So if you want to reach out to us, maybe you want to come on the show and chat with us. Maybe you want to suggest a topic. Maybe you just want to say hello. But you can do that by emailing us at hello at seosaspodcast.com. If you do enjoy the podcast, please do rate because that's good for the algorithms and all that. And if you're feeling generous please do give us a five well i'd say i could be cheeky and say five star review but just give us a review whatever whatever you think we deserve um so yes right then shall we say goodbye hannah yeah sadly <laughs> right that's uh bye for me and bye for me thanks very much again and have a lovely day until next time bye.